Welcome, everyone, to the Take Control of Your Health podcast. This is Dr. Mercola bringing you the latest cutting-edge interviews to help you achieve optimal health. You can receive more information by subscribing to my free daily newsletter at Mercola.com. Because you won't find us on Google or Facebook, we respect your privacy and will continue to fight the Silicon Valley censorship. Thank you so much for listening. So let's get started with this week's latest program to help you and your family take control of your health. Welcome everyone, Dr. Mercola helping you take control of your health. And today we are joined by a repeat guest who's been with us twice previously, Dr. Zeb Zelenko, who is uh, best known for his um, popularization of the hydroxychloroquine protocol early in the pandemic where he was treating hundreds of patients a day at some times and uh, had unbelievable success with this such, such that he was able to communicate directly with President Trump and he subsequently championed it. But things have changed a bit since then and we're gonna get an update from him now. So welcome and thank you for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. So you were, you're, practice was in New York and you migrated to the much nicer state of Florida, both from a political perspective and from an environmental perspective. So maybe you can tell us how that transition is going. Well, Florida is a completely different vibe. You know, it's much more relaxed just because of the sun and the weather, but also the policies of tyranny. It's, uh, I feel, you know, I'm not attacked by mask Nazis like I was in in New York, and um, I wasn't threatened by the, not yet at least, by the governor and the attorney general. So um, I like Florida more. <laughs> well, great. So what have you been doing in the recent month? Maybe you can get us up to date, and then we're going to go into some of your personal stories too. Uh, teaching um, to whoever wants to listen, uh, giving interviews four or five hours a day sometimes, spreading awareness of general principles of early treatment, um, especially in high-risk patients, prophylaxis, um, both prescription and, and over-the-counter options, and trying to uh, educate the public that no one really needs to die from COVID. It's a very treatable infection, or should I say bioweapon, um, if done within the first few days, because COVID is two diseases. It's infectious stage of the virus. And then a week later, uh, you have the pathogenic inflammatory reaction that does all the damage to the lungs and causes blood clots. So it's all about timing. And uh, the data is very clear. Uh, there's dozens of peer-reviewed studies that, uh, that prove that if you treat COVID within the first few days, um, you have an 85% reduction in hospitalization and death. Um, it's a, it's, it's a no-brainer. You could have saved 700,000 people from going to the hospital out of 800,000. Yeah, you were one of the first people warning about the early treatment component. So I'm wondering, are you still actively treating patients now? Uh, remotely, you know, my health issues are, have, uh, and geographically I've moved. So I am licensed in Florida, but um, I have, my practices are still going and um, I have uh, multidisciplinary groups. Um, other doctors working there, mid-level providers, and I, I am available by telemedicine. But my passion now is, is really research, uh, coming, up, coming up with, by the way, I want to thank you about something in a minute, but um, coming up with uh, simple, you know, natural approaches to, mm -hmm. to pro complex problems. Um, like, for example, uh, there is a, a treatment for, for smallpox called Sericinia purpurea. I'm sure you know about it. And um, it was only because I heard you on a different podcast <laughs> talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm looking for um, natural alternative approaches to solve some medical problems. And I've been really red pilled um, out of necessity because, you know, having cancer and going through two open heart surgeries and three years of chemo and radiation and that not having worked, you know, uh, and running out of options. I, I reached out to you 
-hmm. and with with your help and guidance and wisdom you know you really pushed me in in a different direction um and it seems to be really improved my condition so thank you well you're most welcome i was delighted to be able to help you with that um maybe we should just review some of the details because i think you we're suffering with a very rare type of cancer, pulmonary sarcoma, I believe, which is uh, universally fatal. There's not that many of them, but they gave you, uh, I forget what they told you, but you only had a few months to live or so. But then, you, so why don't you take it, take it from there and give us the specifics? Yeah, um, I think it's three and a half or four years ago. Um, my daughter was 10 days old, I remember, uh, almost four years ago. Um, I was diagnosed with pulmonary artery okay. sarcoma. And there's only 10 cases on average in, uh, per year, and they're all found at um, autopsy. In my case, they thought it was a blood clot, so they didn't respond to blood thinning medication. So the decision was made to do a embolectomy, open my chest, go into the pulmonary artery and take out a blood clot. But when they did that, they saw it was a tumor and it had completely destroyed my right lung. So I lost my right lung and they, resected a large part of the pulmonary artery and had to reconstruct it because you need you need that artery to live mm -hmm. and then i um i was on chemo um and then i was on oral suppressive uh, chemo excuse me um i've been doing so many interviews i'm losing my voice anyway so um and it was i was pretty good for two years and then it came back and they had spread to my hip as well. And so I had another open heart surgery. Um, they had to replace one of my heart valves, pulmonic valve. Um, then I went for radiation to my hip. And then I went on uh, really heavy chemo. And after two months of that, I went into congestive heart failure. I developed cardiomyopathy and my ejection fraction of the weight, heart pumps, which is normally around 65 fell to 35, which is someone who is analogous to someone who had a major heart attack. My lungs filled with fluid. It was really not so pleasant. Um, and then I recovered from that and I was put on heart failure medication and obviously stopped that chemo. And after a month or two, I was put on some, some, something oral. Um, and then a month after that, I wasn't feeling too well. Went to the doctor, did a blood test. My white blood cell count was very low because the oral chemo had suppressed my bone marrow. And I then developed COVID pneumonia, believe it or not, in my one remaining lung on both lobes, the, in the left lung, in the upper and lower lobes. Um, I was pretty sure I was going to leave in a box. Um, and yet um, I recovered. And then um, a few months later, I went for surveillance another cat cat scan and they found again the tumor was back in the pulmonary artery but this time uh, no doctor wanted to operate on me a third open heart procedure is very dangerous they estimated more than 50 percent likelihood i would die on the table uh, which i didn't like <laughs> so i ended up having uh, uh, pretty intense radiation to my mediastinum where the tumor was and um, that's when you came into the picture in terms of uh, advising me with treatment. And I ended up having immunotherapy in Europe for two months um, with checkpoint inhibitors, but also hyper, hyperthermia and um, mistletoe injections and alpha-lipoic acid, vitamin C, really high dose, and different other modalities. And um, you know, it, it, I've, I feel better than ever. Um, I had a CAT scan last week and it showed the, the, the tumor shrank by a third. Mm -hmm. And I spoke to the radiation oncologist and he told me that um, a good result would have been the same size or smaller. Uh, it takes years to resolve. It's not, um, you know, it's not 100% that it's actually live tumor so you know time will tell but um it's easier for me to walk and hemodynamically i'm more stable and um i feel good thank god uh, you told me also that you lost 50 pounds in the process because you shifted your diet 
Yeah, I need, I need the new clothes. Um, <laughs> I think fits. Yeah, I um, I weigh one seventy two. I have not weighed this weight since I've been eighteen. It's a it's a good process, you know, and it's remarkable to see how much you've improved with such a bad prognosis, and more importantly, having under accepted the conventional model. Uh, which typically most people with cancer nowadays die from the treatments, not from the cancer. So, uh, and you've got, they blasted you up and down, left and right, and sideways. So uh, I'm really delighted that uh, the intervention seems to make a difference at this point. So it seems to be going in the right direction. But it, it, it really is remarkable how, how we're pushed to the limit sometimes with uh, our circumstances that were that are given to us. And we, out of last resort, we come to wake up and realize that there's other better strategies to address this. So maybe you can comment on, on that perspective. Well, you know, this whole COVID uh, story completely changed the way I look at um, life. I mean, when I saw natural, effective, over-the-counter solutions being marginalized, and um, suppressed, um, and then you know the vaccines being pushed. I realized that um, there's a lot of uh, evil going on. I'll give you an example. In New South Wales, in Australia, um, any doctor that prescribes hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin goes to jail for six months. I mean, for COVID, goes to jail. And what's the reason they tell you? Because mm -hmm. it, it encourages vaccine hesitancy. In other words, they're not denying it works. On the contrary, it works. And because of that, people are choosing to not take the vaccines, but rather take the you know, over-the-counter or uh, prescription approaches, but in the early phases of the illness. And that's contrary to the a narrative and the agenda of uh, whoever's running the show here. So um, that understanding and that realization um, has opened me up to to understand that probably, well, not probably, definitely, same thing happened with cancer, where um, you know probably effective approaches were marginalized in lieu of the more expensive and, and traditional, uh, let's call it pharmaceutical approaches. I'll give you one example. It was a Dr. Cooley. I'm sure you heard of him, Cooley's toxins. Um, he was an oncological surgeon, lived around 100 years ago, maybe 120 years ago. And he noticed that his patients, uh, he would operate on them and the tumor would come back and they would die. So, um, and then he observed something very interesting. He had a patient with pancreatic cancer, stage four, inoperable. And that patient got very sick with an infection, became septic. He almost died, but he didn't die. And he recovered from the infection. And his tumor went away. So, and then he noticed that, that type of phenomenon a few more times. And he realized that there must be something that immune reaction, immune response to the infection that wakes up the immune system to also attack the tumor. So basically, in my opinion, that was the birth of immunotherapy. <coughs> and so um, fever seems to play a role. Um, it seems to have anti-tumor um, properties as well as um, certain activating certain parts of your immune system. So uh, you know, it's fascinating. And that information was buried. Uh, for a good long time, 50, 60 years, until some doctors rediscovered it and started doing research. And I benefited from that in Europe. Yeah, because uh, we do it a little bit differently now than when Cooley was doing it with the toxins because it wasn't as precise and many people died from the treatment. Uh, but in most cases, they didn't really have an alternative, an effective alternative. So, but now they actually do it just by raising your body temperature. So yeah. maybe you can describe your experience of what the hyperthermia was like. That was quite an experience. You know, uh, having a temperature be around, was it uh, around 40 Celsius, let's say 104, for like five hours. 
you, you become a little uh, uh, loopy and um, a little anxious. But uh, otherwise, it's just, you know, I drank a lot of fluids and uh, I had a nurse with me all the time. It was a pretty interesting experience. And then <coughs> there were uh, whole body hyperthermia um, machines and localized hyper hyperthermia, um, both basically uh, a fancy sauna. <laughs> and uh, it was like a spa, actually. I did enjoy the treatment in most cases. Yeah, I think sauna is one of the most powerful biohacks interventions that I personally do, and I do it several times a week. And I get, I get my temperature up to not 104, but about 102 or so for 15 minutes, not four or five hours, but it's done, done slightly. I think it's a really profoundly effective uh, health habit to, to hit nip, nip infections in the bud, but also any potential malignancies that might be uh, biting, coming around to try to get a, get a hold on you. So it's a powerful strategy. But uh, I'm glad you were able to get that. So, um, all right. Well, let's let's pivot back to the uh, infection, COVID pandemic. So, the it appears that the the course of the infection has changed somewhat with this new variant Omicron, and that it's far more contagious. And uh, but the counter is that it may actually it, it is clearly has less severe symptoms. So I'm wondering if you've noticed that in, in you and your patients that you're treating through your, your staff. Yeah, so Omicron is unstoppable. It's more infectious than measles. Everyone's gonna get it, sorry, but that's the case. However, um, it seems to attack only the upper airway in most cases, mm -hmm. and there are very few deaths. And it, it's very responsive to treatment as well. So um, there's no reason to be afraid of it. Yeah. So um, it almost seems like it's a Christmas present for the population and that this is really the authentic vaccine, the way that nature was designed to provide immunity to through a natural route of, of the, being exposed to the, to the infectious agent. Uh, and I, so ideally it spreads around to everyone, which is, uh, going to uh, increase its prevalence in the population and, and truly produce herd immunity. Because it's like we, the old, old time chicken pox parties, if you remember. Oh yeah. Where basically, you know, you, you get through it and um, you develop uh, immunity to it. When two thirds of the population uh, gets through it, it essentially shuts down the pandemic. However, we have to be realistic. I want to talk about variants in, in, in concept and explain to people um, the different possibilities. Um, variants, there's a mutation rate in viruses uh, that is said by God. Uh, essentially, you know, it just happens and all viruses mutate. Um, it gives them survivability uh, benefit. Uh, however, in this particular case, and that's happening in this case as well. However, there's other factors here. There are three doctors I want to mention. Uh, world, probably the world leading immunologists. I'm sure you heard of them. Dr. Luke Montague won the Nobel Prize in 2008 for finding HIV. Uh, Dr. Sukharat Bahdi, the most published immunologist in, in history. And Dr. Geert Vandenbosch, uh, top immunologists in the Netherlands. They all said the same thing, which is if you vaccinate people during an active pandemic, you cause variants to happen. You exert evolutionary pressure and you, um, you kind of uh, breed more virulent viruses. Now, even in that category, there are two possibilities. One could be that it was unintentional, you know, good, well-meaning people developed uh, what they thought uh, would help a vaccine. However, giving it uh, to people during a pandemic uh, has been an absolute failure. Uh, oops, we're sorry. That's one possibility. The other possibility is whoever has orchestrated this knows exactly what they're doing and they're doing it on purpose 
to maintain the new variants and the consequences of that, which is a, essentially um, a psyop, a global psychosis, their fear and lockdown and wearing a face diaper. And there's one more possibility. There's no dispute. Everyone who knows the facts and has studied the issue knows that COVID-19 is a weapon uh, made in a laboratory. And what's called gain-of-function research is nothing more than making a weapon of mass destruction and genocide. Um, and there's a patent trail uh, 20 years long that actually documents the different stages of, de of development of this weapon. And here's my supposition. I have no evidence of this, but I could say the following. If I could make the original virus, I could make variants. Uh, it's very easy. You just change a few sequences of the code that goes to the spike protein. You change its three-dimensional shape. And it, uh, if you do it enough, you'll evade existing antibodies. So again, I don't have evidence for that, but I do have evidence that this is a artificially made bioweapon, COVID-19. So why wouldn't it be possible to make variants the same way? So I think it's a kind of, kind of a combination, uh, multifactorial cause of variants. The natural God factor, the, the evolutionary pressure exerted by uh, vaccinating people during an active pandemic, and then just outright making them. Do you speculate there are some white hats that actually engineered a beneficial infection that was essentially non-lethal, but highly contagious? Um, well, I, I, I haven't thought of that actually. Um, oh, that's, a, that's a nice possibility. Um, I have no, I could speculate that it's a possibility that's, that's all I could tell you. Well, could just- but I wanna tell you something very okay. new that I learned that uh, has some profound implications. In March of 2020, um, I saw a video, MedCram episode hmm? 34, Dr. Schultz, and he explained uh, the principles that I used, that I then used to build my protocol. Um, and he quoted a paper um, that explained the functioning of zinc ionophores with zinc. And that was very exciting for me. And I built my protocol on it. What I didn't realize until a month ago was the author of that paper was Dr. Ralph Barrick. <laughs> and let me you got it right away but i want to to the listeners who may not have, have all the puzzle pieces i'd like to explain in 1999 ralph barrick funded by the government uh, at the university of north carolina at chapel hill figured out how to um take um an animal virus and have it be able to infect, infect other species, different animals. In other words, cross-species infection. And in 2015, the same Dr. Al Barrick, with Dr. Zheng Li from Wuhan, um, funded by the NIH, figured out how to make um, a coronavirus infect human beings and augmented its uh, lethality to human lungs. Um, and that was in 2015. But in 2010 was when Barrick um, published a paper that I'm referring to. So the development of the weapon happened in stages, but before it was unleashed onto the human population or, or the development of, of, of it being able to infect human beings, an antidote was made researched, paid for by the government, uh, published. And, and, and so the same people that made the bomb, let's say, also created a, uh, the way to the antidote to defuse the bomb. And then when the pandemic arrived, doctors like myself out of necessity came up with uh, creative solutions based <coughs> in, my, in my case, unknowingly on this work and immediately that information was marginalized, suppressed, 
and doctors were deplatformed who were advocating for it. So the government who made the bomb also knew about the solution. And the reason why is they don't want to die. The stakeholders here don't want their families to die. But the, for, for you and for me, they have a different agenda. So they had that information. I have knowledge um, that the, the Google executives are all taking hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin for prophylaxis, as is, is half of Congress. And so the people that have orchestrated this knew the answer and used it for themselves. And even doctors to this day, they know the answer to the, for themselves. They prescribe them for themselves or they call me. But when patients come, they say there's no treatment, go home and Thailand. So this, this is mass murder. It's indeed, it's a genocidal intervention uh, that's been at least somewhat successful until this point. So uh, one of the big questions on the table is, what is the likely outcome of giving the COVID jab to hundreds of millions of people? Uh, I think it's, I mean, you, it, no one knows for sure because the data has been so seriously manipulated, uh, but there's a high likelihood that the number of people who've been killed by the jab exceeds the number who have died from the infection. Yeah, we're somewhere between 500,000 to a million. Mm -hmm. That's my guesstimate. Um, in October 2020, two months before the vaccine rollout, I'm sure you know there was an internal presentation in the FDA <coughs> to its scientists. And on slide 16 of that presentation, there was a list of side effects. Mm -hmm. um, death, heart attack, stroke, blood clots, horrific neurological diseases, myocarditis, and many, many more. Now, keep in mind, this is two months prior to the rollout. Um, after the vaccines were rolled out, and a few months into it, when the VAERS database um, started showing um, the side effects that people were experiencing is 100% correlation uh, with what that slide uh, said would happen to what actually happened to human beings. <laughs> that is premeditated mass murder. FDA knew exactly what it was doing. It knew exactly the side effects and they released it anyway because their agenda uh, which we can discuss is um, pretty clear by now. Is that slide still available or take it off the site? Yes, of course. No, no, I have it. Uh, we downloaded it. I, I have the whole presentation. I'll, I'll send it to you. <clears throat> so what, what do you think their agenda is? Um, let's take a step back. Mm -hmm. In the mid-90s, it became obvious that the American economy is doomed. Mm -hmm. The Medicare and Social Security systems would become um, insolvent. And that would cause a um, tsunami-like effect nationally and internationally. And it's unstoppable. It was past the threshold. Um, mathematically inevitable. Yes. Um, as of today, Medicare will be, according to the uh, Congressional Budget Office, um, in 2027, will, be, will begin to, the process towards bankruptcy. Social Security as of today is 2034. Now, the major stakeholders in the world economies so an existential threat. They understood that their power and wealth was in real jeopardy. And so a plan was developed, which um, was beyond the technology at that time. 
but the technology was being developed. So for example, the Human Genome Project um, <clears throat> was mapped and completed. Then CRISPR technology was developed, which is uh, gene editing or gene splicing in very precise ways. Um, and that was sold as a way to cure genetic diseases. There's a uh, defective gene, you can just cut it out and splice in, um, cut and paste basically a, a healthy gene. And that could be done, however, and that's the upside. The downside is that um, it creates possibilities to do gene editing in, in other genes for nefarious reasons. We'll talk about that. And so in 2015, Bill Gates, as you know, said that the uh, world population needs to be re reduced by 15% through the use of vaccines because of global warming. The same Bill Gates in 2020 said 7 billion people must be vaccinated. So the obvious question is, it's a rhetorical question, why would I take a vaccine for my health from someone who's advocating the use of vaccines to reduce the world population? But, uh, that's a side question. In 2016, Klaus Schwab, um, in an interview, it's, it's recorded, we have it, said something very strange. That within 10 years, by 2026, every single human being will be tagged with a digital identifier. And I didn't even understand, like, what does that mean and why? So um, let's go through the sequence of events. A bioweapon is made with an antidote which is being suppressed and hidden. It's released. It's extremely easy to treat. However, that information is being suppressed and access to those medications is being suppressed. And doctors who are advocating for it are being persecuted. And anything that seems to give people hope uh, lessen the anxiety, encourage um, reintegration with your loved ones, um, seems to be immediately vilified, even early intervention. If you look at the NIH, they recommend as of today not to treat COVID unless you're in the hospital with lung damage. That's today's recommendation. Um, don't do that. That's a recommendation. And so, I was wondering, like, what, what, what is really going on? And why this incessant push to vaccinate everyone? And why jail doctors um, for using meds at work because it discourages, encourages the vaccine hesitancy? And, and then I realized something. <clears throat> there were two patents that I became aware of. Um, they're separated by year, but they're linked in, in, in the puzzle, in the, in the concept. One, it was August 31st of this year, that describes, uh, it's 50 pages, a very difficult patent to read, 50 pages of nanotechnology engineering. But when you get through it, it basically describes the following, that there is um, the capability, the technology already existing in these vaccines um, that allows for the measurement of biometric data, meaning your heart rate, your respiratory rate, temperature, and then the transmission of that <clears throat> data with your location to a third party. And that didn't even make sense to me. Like, what? But then I realized there's another patent owned by Microsoft. And this one I remember by heart. It's an international patent, um, WO2020060606. You can't make this stuff up. And that patent describes the linkage of biometric data transmission to cryptocurrency. Uh, then I got it. <clears throat> and by the way, 2026, when everyone's supposed to be tagged with a digital, let's call it an internal Auschwitz vector, is a year before the beginning of the insolvency of Medicare and the beginning 
of economic collapse. And so here's the, here it became obvious to me, the real agenda. It's never been about health. Um, <coughs> COVID-19 is easy to treat. It was always about using fear and mass psychosis to get 7 billion people to willfully um, get injected with the technology that would allow, permit them to participate in the new cryptocurrency-based system, which will be the system that uh, the world will use for finance. Fiat currency and all the traditional uh, ways of transactions will be uh, gone. And the only way that you actually participate in uh, in transactions of buying bread, let's say, is having a, a, literally a, a sensor and transmit a transmitting sen sensor of information with your location. And with that, it's the, it's the mark of the beast, if you really want to know. <laughs> but uh, with that, um, you can then um, buy bread for your family. Now, here I have a few questions. Well, I, let, well, me ask a question. let me ask a question first, because that's quite a remarkable uh, comments that you made on the patent that you read. And I've been an advocate of technology for many, many decades now. So I, I tend to follow the literature. And I know that we have devices about the size of a great grain of rice that you can embed in the body that will absolutely do what you're saying. But it's really hard to imagine that the technology has improved so much that it could be miniaturized to the point where it can be injected to a 23 gauge syringe into a person's body. So, so the one is that you have the ability to collect the biometric data. And then two is, the, which is even more mind boggling is to transmit it. Because that involves some fairly significant uh, technology to do that. I mean, it just doesn't, <laughs> and it usually is a lot bigger than we were gonna squeeze through the, the size of a 23 gauge needle. So what, what so, is your take, um, take on that? Uh, my take on that is that I'm going to give you the patent number okay. and ask to go through it. And then um, maybe my interpretation is wrong, but uh, I don't think so. And then we can discuss it because okay. basically just because it's hard to believe doesn't mean it doesn't exist. No, I, I get that. And I'm, not, I'm absolutely certain that the technology will exist at some point. I just don't know that we're there yet, especially in light of the fact that almost everyone on the planet has a cell phone and that cell phone is right now almost the ultimate tracking device. It's embedded with, it's not even, a, it's pretty much a multi-sensor device to, to track you, locate you and, and feedback information. And the technology is there to seamlessly do it and the connection and the, and the cellular networks. So I don't know why they- The difference would... is, the difference is that I could uh, leave my cell phone at home. Yeah, it's not much of a big difference. I mean, they could pretty, you could pretty much configure society to demand that you had to interact with your cell phone. In many cases, that's the way it is now. That's what they're, that's what they're targeting these vaccine passwords for. It's going to obviously be not, not a chip on your arm. It's going to be on your cell phone. But it's much more, uh, let's call it efficient, if it's in you. And there are other um, reasons why it's being done. Um, you know, heart attacks, strokes, Myocarditis, miscarriage rates up from 10 to 82% in the first trimester, increases in cancer, increases in autoimmune diseases, increases in testicular and ovarian dysfunction, most likely infertility, and antibody dependent enhancement, or I think you like to call it paradoxical. Paradoxical, PIE, paradoxical immune enhancement. <laughs> Isn't that that? that term never took off so it's almost everyone uses ADE but it's that's pretty bad enough as it is but if you listen to the words of the of Bill Gates and Klaus Schwab in interviews and I, and I have this information by the way I'm asking anyone who's listening to me not to believe a word I'm saying listen if you want do your due diligence take the information I'm giving you vet it Come to your own conclusions. Don't make the same mistake with me as you've done with the government. With blind faith. Blind faith belongs to God, not to human beings. And so 
Bill Gates and, and Schwab both talking talk about these vaccines change who you are. So what does that mean? And they explain it. That because of the gene editing technology, um, they are making the human better. That's where transhumanism, I'll call it human 2.0. Mm -hmm. um, so human uh, 1.0 is the version that's made by God. And what really we are is in, imprinted in the genetic code. We're made in the image of God his, because we have his code in us. Now, would you give Bill Gates or Klaus Schwab the password to your home security system? It's a rhetorical question, <laughs> of course not. Why would we give him access to our genetic code? So human 2.0 in, in the demented, depraved, um, deranged, pagan minds of these people is a, the next step in the evolution of human beings. And I'm saying, if you allow that to happen to yourself, you're no longer made in the image of God. You're made in the image of Bill Gates and Kleshwa. Well, they've been doing that for a while now. And uh, the most egregious example of that would be the 20, company 23andMe which was uh, at the time, I believe, the wife of one of the Google co-founders. And uh, they just collected all that, essentially gave the test away for free. It was like $99, uh, but there was no privacy issues with it. In other words, they, they could use your data and did use it to sell it to the drug companies. So I, that wasn't complete gene sequencing uh, because the technology was relatively more expensive back then, but they still got large portions of the DNA. Sequenced. But this is more than sequence. This is manipulating. This is altering. But you're talking about the mRNA vaccine. Yeah. So I mean, it, it, at this point, the instructions that they're inputting is just to create this toxic bioweapon, the spike protein. But are there other uh, genetic manipulations you're re referring to? Um. I'm not sure. Uh, I'm just telling you that this vaccine, everything's been done. You know, if Sanjay Gupta has to go on Sesame Street and uh, use Elmo to sell and encourage kids to take the vaccine when um, children have a 99.998% recovery rates from COVID with no treatment. And so there's no medical necessity for them to take the vaccine. All this, um, you know, rhetoric from the demented uh, puppet in the White House, where you shouldn't let your kids play with unvaccinated, and all this rhetoric is all used as a coercive measure to, to get as many people tagged um, for the, they call the new world order, which will be a cryptocurrency based system that is managed by a few players and used to enslave humanity. Yeah. One of the agenda um, of the World Economic Forum, they stated outright by 2030, is quote, no, America will no longer be a superpower and a few countries will be in control of basically the global governance. So how do you destabilize an economic engine like America? So you create a pandemic, you lock down um, middle-class businesses, small businesses, because that's very dangerous, but you leave Walmart and Home Depot open because that's not dangerous. Um, basically a wealth transference from the middle class to 
the people in it's a robbery there's uh in in power or want to be in power um so this is one big attempt at um enslaving humanity it's a brilliant plan by the way it's evil but it's brilliant because slavery has always been the most lucrative industry and asset throughout human history and now is no different um and so you have a few sociopaths who believe in their immortality and think that they'll transfer their consciousness into some cyborg or uh, end it forever um enjoying you know the whole world as their playground are you familiar with the georgia um guidestones no i think i heard you mention in a previous podcast but I don't recall yeah just very huge granite monuments erected in a small town in georgia um, out of the blue and it's basically <laughs> ten commandments of evil and the first one no one knows who did it uh the first one is the world population uh should be reduced to 500 million hmm. and that fits actually four months ago elon musk debuted his humanoid robots mm -hmm. and during his presentation said that these robots will eliminate 90 percent of the workforce and therefore we need a universal income and so what that means is keep in mind that we're not in in the minds of these people, we're not made in the divine, we're cockroaches. And they're not gonna throw endless universal income resources at cockroaches for too long. They'll do it initially in order to map out, identify um, the useless eaters. And then they will be liquidated. This has happened before, I mean, just 80 years ago. Um, you had the Nazi ideology based on eugenics, which created, I'm speaking five, six hours a day, so really losing my voice. But um, three classes of people. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't help when you have one lung either. Yeah. You have the, the Ubermensch, the Superman, Nietzsche would call the Superman then the mensch, which is the human, and then the untermensch, which is the subhuman. And so in their model, the Superman, uh, but the Nazis were the themselves who were descendants of Aryan gods. <coughs> and that gave them the power to enslave others. So, for example, the Anglo-Saxons, basically Europeans, were meant to be slaves to, to the Aryans. And the subhumans, which I belong to, um, Jews, gypsies, Slavs, um, handicapped, uh, political prisoners, um, they were, we were meant to be vaporized, become uh, dust. Um, that ideology did not go away. Mm -hmm. It's actually resurfaced with the with the nuance that it's not anti-Semitic right now, in in a kind of an abstract way, we're all Jews this time, because the hierarchy here is not based on uh, religion or identity, but rather on the deranged belief that they've evolved. The, people, the supermen of this generation into a higher level of consciousness. They're woke and they understand and enlightened uh, about um, the nature of the human condition and they're custodians of the planet and therefore it's their responsibility to, um, to make sure the planet is uh, has, you know, solvency, let's say, that continues to exist, 
<clears throat> Therefore, we have to reduce the world population. You know who thought like this? Ted Turner, Prince Philip. Um, this is a very common mindset by many, many people. So it's likely the death toll for what they're doing now will far exceed what's happened with what's occurred in previous genocidal interventions. Uh, I think the biggest being was in, was in Stalin's Russia where it had 50, 60 million people. Um, so we'll probably exceed that. And I'm wondering what your perspective is on the future, whether it's optimistic or pessimistic and whether we'll actually ever get to the other side where these people will be held accountable. And if they are, the behavior that you described of Sanjay Gupta going on Sesame Street, encouraging innocent, helpless children to be sacrificed, is, is, is basically, basically he's going to be held accountable. And this is the type, if we have a different a 21st century Nuremberg, um, will likely get the death sentence for that. So I'm wondering, what do you think is going to happen down the road? I'm, I'm very optimistic about the future. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you what I really think is going on. It's what we see. And then there's the, let's call it spiritual physics at play. Um, we as a society, Carl Jung, the famous psychoanalyst wrote, the moral degradation of society begins with the degradation of the individual. So from that, we can actually learn that the moral improvement of society begins with the improvement of the individual. We as a society over the last 50, 60 years have made some very, very bad choices. Uh, for example, um, we've desanctified or made uh, defiled gender roles. You know, Biden would have his way. My four-year-old daughter would be sharing a bathroom with a 30-year-old man who thinks he's a woman. Um, marriage has lost its sanctity. The unborn are being massacred. Um, and, you know, in the Bible, there's uh, two cities that were destroyed, Sodom and Gomorrah, and there's an analysis of why that happened. And it wasn't because of immorality, because the whole world was immoral. It was because they codified immorality into the law of the land. That's exactly what's happening in this country. And so we've devolved, we've become devolved pagans, where we worship the God of science, the God of technology, the God of money, the God of power, anything but God. Um, and we are clearly practicing child sacrifice. According to Dr. Michael Yaden, former VP of Pfizer, he told me personally, and then he actually publicized it, that for every one child that dies from COVID, 100 die from the vaccine. Vaccine is a hundred times more lethal to children than COVID. So that's, what do you call that? It's child sacrifice. And so um, I feel by way of analogy, we're like in the generation of the flood. The house is gonna get clean. And each individual is given a choice to get on the ark or not, or make it more simple. Who do you bow down to? Do you bow down to your creator who makes you every instant of time? Happy birthday, you know, just made you. Um, you ask him for fortitude, endurance, strength, resolve, um, you know, the ability to deal with the unknown and the fear. Or are you going to bow, get into the fear and bow down to uh, corrupt uh, sociopaths, oligarchs, corrupt governments, and the false promise of the golden calf of these vaccines. Because at this point in this country, at least, no one's holding you down and putting a needle into your arm. The majority of people, they want to travel by plane. They don't want to lose their job. 
they want to go to school. It's all these uh, kind of quality of life decisions. In other words, normal society, the parents sacrifice for the well-being of the children. In pagan societies, we sacrifice the children for the purpose of the adults. And so the answer to your question is, um, we need organized civil disobedience, do not comply. They can't imprison everyone. They can't fire everyone. They can't expel everyone. They can't lock down everyone. There's many more of us than them. And actually, let me speak to the military leaders, to the police, to the people that are charged to protect society. You know, you also have children, you also have parents, um, and we are relying on you to do what's best for the citizens of this country, to protect us from all enemies, foreign and domestic. And so all we need to do is to coalesce with like-minded people, take your kids out of school, homeschool them. You know, uh, WHO came out with an with a edict that if your kids go to school, that's implied consent for the vaccine. Because you could have sent them, you could have not sent them to school. And since you sent them to school, that's implying that you're consenting for them to be vaccinated even without your knowledge. So for many decades, children were poisoned in school with, with absolute uh, debauchery and immorality. That was the poisoning of their souls. Now their bodies are being threatened. So take your kids out of the public school system, homeschool them with like-minded parents. They'll do much better. You can teach them morality, you can teach them in safety. And basically we have to make small pockets like cities of refuge in a sense of um, like-minded people and create an alternate society, uh, do commerce with ourselves. And I know there are forces of really working hard to create an alternate um, cryptocurrency or blockchain system that is decentralized and would allow for people who don't want to be tagged with a digital identifier to transact with each other. <laughs> well, a number of experts already believe that cryptocurrency exists. It's called Bitcoin <laughs> because it has been decentralized. And uh, but that's another topic. But I'm wondering, you know, I'm sure you're aware of what's going on in Kazakhstan right now with this insurrection from the people and the government shutting down the internet. I'm wondering if you believe this is an example of what you're referring to. Um, I'll put it to you this way. Uh, Australia has quarantine camps. People are being be beaten in the street uh, for smoking a cigarette without a mask. Um, ankle bracelets for those that are refusing um, now, the only reason why in America this doesn't happen is because there's 450 million guns in the hands of law-abiding citizens. And there's a, <coughs> I hope there's a nonviolent resolution to this. But do you believe that the Kazakhstan people in that country are rebelling to get this, just as you predicted that the rest of the world is going to come to at some point? Yeah, I, I think that uh, as it's becoming more and more obvious, this has never been about COVID. It's always been about uh, um, creating a new world order, a great reset to build back better a society run by a few sociopaths and the rest of us enslaved, once that realization reaches a certain threshold of people, 
um, things are going to be, uh, countries are going to change uh, and fall like dominoes. Do you ever see what happened to Saddam Hussein, Gaddafi, Mussolini, Ceausescu from Romania, um, and many other Nazis uh, once uh, decent people win back freedom? That's what I anticipate happening to the orchestrators of this. Your time frame. You think it's going to be 2023, 2022, 2025? It depends on us. You know, we have some freedom, um, but freedom isn't free. The only reason we have freedom is because our grandparents had the courage and resolve to storm the beaches of Normandy and confront Turn. Um, whether or not our children will be free depends on whether or not we're ready to sacrifice. Are we ready in this generation to pay the price to ensure that our children thrive in freedom and have the ability to maintain God consciousness? Um, so the answer to your question is, it's gonna happen. The unknown variable is the body count. And, and when that happens. I, I would hope that this, this interview, let's say, reaches the consciousness of every single human being. People choose to say no from, from this point on. <laughs> I'm gonna have to go in a minute, I have another interview. Okay. And, um, and we, uh, we end this thing very quickly. All right, I would uh, aspire to that uh, hope too. Uh, so I want to thank you for your time with us today and all you've been doing. And I look forward to connecting with you personally next week. So, and uh, stay healthy until then. God bless.